All right, good morning, good afternoon, whatever you want to consider it. Um, welcome to Endeavor Hill. Um, I, it's good to see all of you here, and uh, I just want to uh, welcome those of you who are joining us online um, via Facebook Live or joining us uh, later on via Spotify and some of the other places that we have uh, placed our sermons. You can also go to the website as well. It's interesting uh, going through my undergraduate, even through uh, my graduate degrees, uh, very little have they talked about or instructed pastors on the importance of creating online content and um, quality content and, and various aspects of that. So it's very new. I feel like the uh, pandemic really pushed us uh, to reach out to different ministry types. And so I appreciate all of you uh, that come and join us here. I'm Stephen Ferguson, um, a pastor here, and um, yeah, it's just uh, glad to be with you again. Today we're going to continue on our sermon series on the hell, or hell. Um, I thought about, man, how what, <laughs> what can I name these sermons? Um, you know, I don't want to be too catchy, and uh, I'm sure you can formulate a lot of catchy titles. Um, that would make your grandmas uh, groan in their graves. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's just we're, we're going through some biblical doctrines, and, and it's a whole series here uh, right now. We started with the soul, um, and we'll take a look at that. And then we looked at hell um, part one last week, and this week we're going to look at hell part two. And um, again, it's in key and important that you come to church and church doesn't stop because church is us. Christ dwells within us and we go home. And if you're convicted or challenged, don't just settle in your, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, oh, that's really good. Challenge yourself throughout the week. What do you believe? What is out there? What beliefs are out there? Uh, the internet is a powerful tool. It's also a very dangerous tool. Um, you can find anything that you want to agree with you. It takes critical thinking. Um, so again, challenge yourself anything that's promoted from the pulpit or a pulpit or online or whatever challenge yourself and take a look at it so last week <clears throat> in review we looked at Lazarus and the rich man and the parable in Luke 16 of Jesus uh, interacting with um, Abraham and a, and uh, through that parable and he mentioned Christ mentions Hades and and is it a literal story? And it's often the go-to for a lot of people promoting the idea of an eternal hell. And then we saw that the Jews and the early church, we looked at the Apostles' Creed, and really it was about a half-hour sermon, and we kind of rushed through it. But um, the early church and the Jews, and you, we looked at the old Roman creed of the Apostles' Creed, did not have this idea of the eternal soul and, and the eternal hell. And so today we're going to dive deeper into that. And uh, before we go further, excuse me, I would like us to start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, guide us and direct us and lead us and thank you for your love and mercy and, and, and be with me as I present uh, a biblical message. Correct me as I need to and we welcome the Holy Spirit. Convict me as I know I'm chief among sinners um, and be with those who are listening later on or Facebook Live and just continue to grow us and guide us. We've struggled financially and we've struggled just with... Uh, growing as an organic body in you and, and just warm our hearts and minds and pour out on this area in this community and thank you. Amen. 
All right, our anchor verse today is John 5, 21 through 25. John 5, 21 through 25, and it's up on the slides for you if you want to take a look at it. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Again, remember our four key rules um, to reading scripture. One is context. What are the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement, or an idea? What's going on that causes this to be said? The language, what is being said or stated by the person? Uh, is it Koine, Greek? Is it Hebrew? Ink? What is it? Uh, Aramaic? What linguistic cues are present? And what language is it originally written in, like I stated? Three, audience. Who is the intended audience? How would the audience have understood what is written and stated? Oftentimes we're very narcissistic and selfish about the um, biblical canon. We look at it and think, wow, that is directly meant for us now. And yes, the biblical canon is meant for us folks, but there's a original audience that we have to remember about. Then the fourth obvious one (laughs) is meaning. What is the intended and overall meaning? I believe uh, in sola scriptura, that uh, scripture alone, um, as says uh, in in Timothy that um, all scripture is breathed out and inspired, is that the Bible canon as we have it proves itself Um, and we can get in whole debates and we will later on in sermon series as we continue here and there with our series on uh, biblical beliefs and Christian beliefs but those are the four rules context language audience meaning anything that you read you should always remember those so today I want us to look um, at a few things I have a couple of graphics that I'm going to show not graphic things but graphics slides that I'm going to show you um, and I want to get your perspective on it. Um, that's really what we're going to talk about today is perspective. First is this video, and we're going to watch that. All right, you see through this short clip that you have this punk from one perspective, this punk running away from something, correct? Yes. Then in the next clip, you have this punk dressed looking person running at a woman that's clutching her purse. Looks like he's going to rob, rob this lady of her purse. Then you have this punk, same, same thing, 
run past the woman and grabs this briefcase of the man, and it looks like he's trying to rob the man of his briefcase. Then the fourth and last overall is we see the clip of the young man running past the woman, pushing her gently out of the way, grabbing this guy to throw him out of the way of what he saw was a pile of bricks falling down. If we would have followed three out of the four perspectives, we would have judged this punk correct, right? I mean, we, not correctly, but we would have judged this punk, dressed-looking kid. Oftentimes, the older we get, I've noticed, the more judgmental we get. Um, but also, we, we, we forget about perspective. So this is one example. The next one, I want you to take a look at this picture. And look at it. They're arguing over how many logs. How many logs are there? Yeah, it's a difficult one, right? Because they're arguing over how many logs. And sometimes people may be looking at the same thing and seeing two different things. Without a conversation, they're just going to continue to argue. One person can look at God as a God of love. The other is a God of fear and destruction and biblical views. Okay, They're both biblical views present there. This up here, if you were to say, oh, there's four logs, that is correct because there are four. But if you were to say there's three logs and you're standing from the other person's viewpoint, uh, this is an optical illusion, obviously, but there's three. So you're, you're, both people are correct in their assumption. But unless those people have a conversation and explain through and work through uh, what they're seeing and experiencing and reading and, and all that, they're just going to continue to argue and be at a stalemate. The next one I want you to look at, and this is just key, I believe, this picture right here, key to uh, where our society is at nowadays. All right, so if you notice, these people are all standing around with their phones out, photographing a person drowning. And... Doesn't this explain what society is today? We just stand around and we watch. And instead of watching, instead of helping, our first reaction is often, oh, the world needs to see this. Uh, instead of getting involved, instead of doing everything, and, and exposure is important, don't get me wrong. And the phone is a beautiful tool at times, but it is also a distracting and, and, and honestly damning tool at times. Because... Instead of helping, we just gather around and we say, oh man, they're drowning. Today as Christians, we will join in with the world and instead of the church body being a hospital for the world. Um, we're, we're jumping into our communities to try and save their real and pressing needs. Instead of doing that, we will gather together and watch in our churches and say, huh, and in our small groups and our, our Sabbath schools and all these things, and we'll pull out our proverbial phones and, and share, oh, look at well, the horrible things that are happening. I know this happened a lot through 2020 and continues to happen, you know, with polio coming out, monkeypox, all the things. It's easy to point the finger and, and dive deep into um, conspiracy theories. And we'd rather not get the world on us. And so instead of getting wet and saving a life, and risking something, we pull out our phone and we'd rather not be affected. We just, uh, after all, we'd just rather share with our friends and prove another point. They might drag us down too. So we worry about that liability there. And, and so we will watch our videos on how bad the world is. We'll talk about it, as I said. Or we'll read our latest post on, on some magazine or online about something going on. And yet the world is drowning and needs us. Christians need to stop pulling out their literal phones and, and, and proverbial phones 
And we need to be the body that the world needs because it's drowning. Okay, and, and now I want you to go to this next uh, picture. <clears throat> Look at it. Photograph of a boat. This gentleman is saying, oh, a boat. I'm getting rescued. Look at that. This other guy on the boat that the other gentleman says is land. Oh, land, sweet land. And we can judge the world when we see it and not realize that the world is looking for us. And we can say instead of, you know, if we can be the people in on land, instead we're saying, oh, look at the boat. Um, and yet the boat is looking for us. And, and, and the church is looking at the world saying how horrible it is. The world is looking in a negative context at the church and saying how horrible it is. Instead, I want us to move, and this is my overall goal for Endeavor Hill, is to have a positive, positive vibes, man. But, but positive view. The church is looking at the world and we are saying here we need to be out there in our communities and, and loving them. We want to be Jesus out there. I don't know why Christians today here being out in the community and loving and spreading grace and mercy and stuff. And we just forget. It's like, oh, they're just going hippie or, or liberal or we throw another title or they're not they're, they're, they're not the true believers because, and then we'll go back to the perspective, oh, they've just given up on law, order, rules, you know, and, and all those things that are present in the biblical canon. But here's the thing. The world looks at the church and we want it to say, we want to be a part of that church body because of what we have witnessed, what we have heard, what we have seen proclaimed and lived out in our community. We want the Jesus that is active and living here. I should get a few amens off that. We need to wake up and just let the Holy Spirit invite it and challenge this apathy that has just run through our ranks. It affects every one of us sitting here, I hate to say it. We need to have a positive outlook. Yes, it, do we as Christians believe that the world is not the best place. Sorry about that. The best place, yes. But God is author of the world and God is author of us. And we need to be the light in that darkness. Going back to what we believe matters. This is God we are talking about. Last In, in, in the last week I, I mentioned this. There are so many perspectives within the Christ, Christ, Christendom and Christianity. And almost everyone thinks they're right. In our church, honestly, you'll hear this word remnant over and over and over and it's my soapbox and i know i'm going to turn many people away because now with 2020 and, and everything especially people have really sat down <clears throat> locked their doors put up their bastions pulled out their books by church founders and pointed out of their bibles and said see the world is going to hell in a handbasket no pun intended keep away let's watch it burn it's going to destroy all this stuff and yet they don't realize that we, in times like this, are held accountable. And the Holy Spirit would be out there in the danger, in the craziness, in the darkness, being the light. Because God's love shines brightest when it's darkest. So what we believe matters. And we need to continue to search. We need to continue to have discussions on these things. 
on biblical beliefs and, 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 and ideas, we have to expose ourselves to other ways to challenge our own viewpoints. Remember in Proverbs it says, iron sharpens iron. We have to be humble enough to open up to deeper understandings. As one of our church founders says, uh, she wrote that we have to continually dive into the deep minds of truth. That we will hold what is we believe is biblical truths and doctrines for years, only to find out through challenging and question and discussion that they are not so. But we've forgotten that. We've, we, we've stuck in the mud that or concrete what is is what will always be and everything's done and it's it's difficult to hear these things especially when you have ultimate church leaders that are up there saying everything's rock solid that's a quote um, and there's boop in end of discussion but that, that's not the case for centuries leaders believed the world was the center of the universe is it no for you flat earthers out there are terra centric people i'm sorry uh for centuries people believe the earth was flat for you flat earthers i hate to burst your bubble but um science does not agree with you for centuries leaders believe that germs weren't real for centuries people lived in fear of jesus and not in love of jesus these are all things that existed within christianity and christendom what we believe matters and can we explain what we believe how many of you are able to sit down and share what you believe? And here's the thing. How many of you at the core of, of what we're called to be as Christians can explain the Gospels? How many of you can proclaim the Gospel effectively? I want to go back to that picture of that group pulling out their cell phones. <clears throat> Pastors and Christians, we're not talking. We're simply just watching. We aren't warning. We are waiting. If we aren't warning the world of its con the consequences that are coming and, and existing now, remember last week we believed that the uh, Jews believed in, in Gehenna, that Gehenna was a literal place where trash and unclean and everything was burned, disgusting place where the fumes would blow back at the city at times. But Gehenna was also a natural consequence. Hell was now because it's what you experience because of your consequences. If we aren't warning the world of the Gehenna, the consequences now, if we aren't jumping into our communities in a very practical way and demonstrating what love and, and a group of people that love really are, demonstrating what true agape is and what God has called us to be, and we're not demonstrating in our communities what God can do and, and who God really is and speaking into people's lives about what is going to happen without love and God, then we aren't honoring God like our anchor verse suggests we need to honor we need to, oftentimes, I feel like we bypass Jesus and a lot of Jesus that challenges us and disagrees with us for God the Father, especially in our denomination of the Old Testament. So again, I left you with three questions and I want to ask today, why is hell important? And it's because it speaks to who God is. It speaks to who God is. There are three traditional views on hell. Okay. The traditional view, as and I'll put these up here, the three tradition. Uh, there's three views on hell. One is the traditional view, and what's what's startling to me is 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 the denomination that we belong to. Um, very much is is a Protestant, um, has a lot of Anabaptist beliefs. Doesn't mean it's crazy or anything, but 
some of the beliefs aren't as popular. It doesn't mean they're wrong. In fact, they're very much supported um, in Christi- Christianity. But a lot of people in our denomination believe in a traditional sense, if you ask them, and it blows my mind, because they're probably the first ones to judge people outside of the denomination, and then we put up our walls as a denomination. Um, But the three views of hell, the number one, as you can see here, is traditional. Some people, perhaps even a majority of the human race, will not be saved. Each person is judged once and for all at death and given either eternal life or eternal condemnation. Hell is a place of endless conscious punishment for sin. This punishment is sometimes interpreted literally. Physical torment. And sometimes, within the traditional viewpoint of hell, it's sometimes metaphorical. It is a state of being, spiritual suffering, separation from God. Under the traditional viewpoint of hell, once a person is in hell, there is no exit. Um, Some versions of this view argue that there are variations in punishment depending upon the severity of a person's sins. And then continuing on, some, and this is a very much a Calvinist viewpoint, versions emphasize God's sovereignty in punishing those whom he chooses to punish, while other versions emphasize the freedom of human choice. Um, And a lot of traditional, especially deep Protestant views, believe in, in the traditional viewpoint of hell. Um, and that would be your Lutherans, your, uh, Presbyterians, your, um, I'd have to relook at Presbyterian, but Calvinists and and so on and so forth. Next one. So that was the traditional sense that's, that's very popular. Um, and the second one is conditional or annihilationists. Okay. This is what our denomination is. Conditional annihilationists. Some people will not be saved. The human soul is not naturally immortal. Eternal existence is a gift of God to be redeemed. The unrepentant will be punished, but this period of conscious punishment is temporary or will be temporary. At the final resurrection, the unrepentant will be destroyed and cease to exist through a hell event. The biblical, as we see, we'll take a look, um, the biblical fire of hell is a consuming rather than a tormenting fire. And some conditionalists believe that after death, a person will receive a second chance to accept or reject God. We, 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 we right there, are. that's not where we're at. I, I personally, as a pastor, cannot support that last point. That some people, even after death, a person will receive a second chance to accept or reject God. All we're given is life. Okay. But other than that, we are annihilationists. Then, and this is a growing viewpoint within Christianity... <clears throat> that really it has a lot of postmodernism so I can't I can't blame everyone for that but it has a lot of postmodernism behind it but this 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 viewpoint of restorationists or universalists but this isn't anything new um, several of the church fathers back in the fourth and third centuries even up to the fifth and sixth centuries um, CE believed in this um, viewpoint um, and this is the restorationist and universalist. As you can see up here, all people will eventually be saved and God will restore the creation to perfect harmony. Eternal we, we, okay. eternal punishment contradicts the love of God. Since God wills the salvation of all and has the power to overcome sin and evil, God's love is stronger than human resistance. I do agree with that, and that's what you see through the Bible. But... When we continue on, if there is a hell, it is not eternal. Punishment is temporary and remedial, leading the sinner towards repentance and union with God. 
even the devil can ultimately repent and be saved. That's just not in scripture. Some theologians throughout history have maintained a more cautious, hopeful universalist stance. We cannot say dogmatically that all will be saved, but neither can we deny that possibility. That makes no sense. God gives us free will, and that's another um, biblical Christian view that we hold as a denomination, uh, Protestant view of free will, and God never overrides our free will. Here's the thing, and many of you that are listening or here today, you might have kids that have gone astray and struggled with drugs, sex, addiction, you yourselves. Think about, and, and being a dad has really opened my eyes, think about this. We love our children and are loved by our parents, hopefully, sadly, not everyone, but loved by our parents unconditionally. But that does not mean we override their free will. They are going to do things and we don't always stop them. And and here's the thing that I heard once. Don't get in the way of God's lessons for others. Don't prevent God's lessons for others. So the universalist idea of everyone saved kind of negates free will. So again, there's the traditional hell is eternal and, and so on and so forth. The second is conditional annihilationist. And that is that um, it's an event at the end, as seen in Revelation, that the effects are eternal. And then there's restorationist universalists, where everyone will eventually be saved because they'll be brought to repentance. The word hell appears 14 times in the New Testament. 14 times. I just had a brain fart there. I want to make sure I said 14 times. 13 times as the word Gehenna in the Greek, um, Koine Greek, as you can see up on the screen. And then one time as Tartarus. Okay, and up there you can see what Tartarus is. So if you, if you dive into Gehenna, you're going to look at, and we've talked about, it's a literal place. Jesus, as he's preaching, would have would have presented this, and, and people would have been able to look down as they're hearing and, and seeing Gehenna. With all its grossness and uncleanness, and maybe even the fumes wafted over. Um, but this would have been a very real uh, thing to be experienced, and people would have walked about and remembered Jesus' words um, as it would have been associated with Gehenna from then on out. And so, really, Gehenna is talked about predominantly um, quite a bit through uh, the Gospels, but especially in Matthew chapter 5, where we have uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5.22, I'll put these up on the screen, in Matthew 5.22, but I say, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the fires of the valley of Gehenna. I read that twice, and do you notice the difference? In the Greek, it says, You will be liable to the fires of the valley of Gehenna. That is a lot different than how we, a lot of us, have translated it to, We will be liable to the hell of fire. To the fire of hell. So, can we trust the Bible? Yes, we can. But go back a lot of times. Be careful what translation you get. And then also, do this research for yourself. Interlinear Bibles are a beautiful thing, and they're, they're, they're 
easily accessed, some online and whatnot. And when Jesus is talking here, he says, Do not hate or be angry or judge your brothers because then you're going to be liable. And he uses an illustration here. The fires of the Valley Gehenna. And that would have cut deep to everyone because that was the last place you wanted to go. Then again, Jesus says, Matthew 5, 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into the fires of the Gehenna. I read that twice and again, notice the difference. Jesus is using an illustration here and saying, you know what, if a part of your body causes you to sin, it would be better for you to tear it out and throw it into Gehenna. And so whenever people would have smelled the scents, even in their hometowns after smelling Gehenna, they would have associated or seen fires perhaps or trash burning anywhere. They would have remembered Jesus's parable uh, or words of saying, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away because it's better to lose a part of you than to lose your soul, to lose who you are, to lose um, unity and love with each other in God. And then we go to Second Peter 2, 4. Okay. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Okay, that's the uh, English Standard Version. And then we go in and it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Okay? So this is Peter writing, and, and I want us to look at something. Jesus in Luke 16 mentions Hades. Okay? Who is the audience? He's talking to a Greco-Roman people. The Jews would have been exposed to Greco-Roman um literature, poets, philosophers. We know this because even Paul, who is a Pharisee of Pharisees, he even says, a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, quotes in Acts uh, chapter 16 to 17, when he sits at the Repagus, I mispronounced that, judge me, in Athens, and he quotes um, a couple um, Greek philosophers and poets. People don't realize that that's in scripture. Um, but he does. And, and so we know, and, and, and Paul being a part of the Pharisees, most legalistic, how was he exposed to that? Um, and it's because they were educated, well-educated. So when, when Peter's writing here, he's giving them an illustration. Peter was not an idiot, okay? We often think that just being a fisherman, he was an absolute idiot. He was educated, um, and so were the others. Jew, the Jewish society as a whole was well-educated um, over most other um, societies at that time. So, Jesus mentions Hades. Does that mean Hades exists? No. Peter mentions Tartarus. Does that mean Tartarus exists? Look up at the illustration here and, and see Tartarus is, is a place in the Greek underworld. And then after Tartarus comes chaos. Okay? And that is what we all experience rounding up our kids for church on Saturday mornings or trying to um, have small groups throughout the week or worships or just trying to live. We all experience We've passed through Tartarus and we're at chaos. But that's what I want you to, to realize is that the Bible is a beautiful document. But you can't, as one professor told me, you can't just read it and do it. You have to read it, look at it, analyze it, 
and it's even good to be critical of it. It's good to ask those questions, and when we do, we're going to see that some of the questions that we have go away. One of these is, how can you reconcile a God of love and an eternal damnation, an eternal punishment, an eternal hell? And, and it's really not there. Um, so what is there? Hell is, and I will say this, is the ultimate judgment. We get the word hell again from the Norse. Um, it's the abode of Odin's uh, neglected child. I'm sure many of you have seen the Marvel films. But hell is the ultimate judgment. Hell brings about the natural and ultimate consequences of sin. Hell cannot be the focus of our judgment. Honestly, a lot of times judgment is the focus of, of everything that we are. Avoiding it or judging others or metting it out. You're not going to make it. You're going to be destroyed because of your sin. We are not called at all to proclaim judgment either on ourselves or others. God has already done that. God says, I love and I've provided healing. I've provided redemption. I've provided rest weekly in case you can't rest. I've provided rest and I've provided restoration out of that. And for those who choose Today, Christians commonly stand as heralds of judgment when God has already done that. We don't finish John 3.16 with John 3.17 and 18 where, where Jesus says, For I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but to provide eternal life. God has commanded us to go out into the world no matter how nasty it gets, no matter the virus, no matter the politics, anything. We are called to be him, to proclaim the gospel, that beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. We are called to teach the world about the true in God, to proclaim that each of us is beautifully and wonderfully made, to shout that we have a purpose, that we have a reason to live, that we have hope for a better life than what most of us face in these times and in this life. Our perspective of hell has commonly been a place for the world. For those who do not believe the message, who aren't Christian, or who do not follow the rules. Honestly, between Christians, hell is one of those things, that, that picture going back, that one sees three logs and one sees four. Is hell a hill to die on? I am. Sometimes it is. The biblical perspective of hell is a place that garbage and waste go to be destroyed. As harsh as it sounds, sinners who choose not to follow God will live out their own purpose in life, and then that is the end of their purpose. They become garbage, as harsh as it sounds. We are all sinners. We all start as garbage. And yet Jesus loves us. Jesus loves, he's like Groucho, but without Groucho. He loves the garbage. And I want to warn you. Christians who waste their time gathering together to judge the world are complete garbage. Christians who waste the gospel of Jesus Christ are garbage. Christians who are not living out Jesus are garbage. Christians who are not loving and proclaiming the gospel are garbage. Christians who are not loving in their communities are complete garbage. Christians who huddle together in their churches to protect themselves are absolute garbage. Each of us has a purpose. Each of us has a reason to live, and that is 100% absolutely worth being completely risk for the Gospels and without abandonment and reservement for Jesus Christ. I want to thank you all today for joining us.
I'm never good at wrapping things up, uh, but let's close with a word of prayer.